Nurk looked good in practice today. I will say that that's public information. Nurk went through a full practice today, contact, up and down, all of that stuff. He's been banging. He looks better than he did, you know, physically before he was hurt. He has a franchise record in points, career high in points, franchise record in threes, most points scored in the NBA game this season. And he joins Will Chamberlain, Kobe, Michael Elgin, Baylor, and James Harden as the only players to have multiple 60-point games. When you're as explosive and athletic as he is, you stand out naturally by just being yourself. He's going to be the best version of him, dunking, rebounding, getting out and running. Welcome to the John Randall episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 93, almost the century mark. Stay tuned because in about 20 minutes, we're going to be talking to NFL ESPN insider, Adam Scheffner. Jordan, hope all is well. We're here in Portland getting ready to play the Dallas Mavericks again. Um, second time in a week or a little under a week. We've made a trade. We traded Kent Bazemore to the Kings in a multiplayer deal. So that was Kent, Anthony Tolliver, and two future second round draft picks to the Sacramento Kings, a deal that shed $12.5 million in salary. The Kings sent Trevor Ariza, Wenyan Gabriel, and Caleb Swanigan, who also played for the Blazers a year and a half ago. Luxury tax bill drops to $7 million with the deal. For those of you that aren't familiar with the money structure, um, that's a, a big deal in the NBA world in terms of structure, salary, et cetera. But definitely going to miss my guys. Kent Bazemore going to miss AT, two really good teammates, good people, guys I've become friends with and will be friends with uh, for the foreseeable future of my life. Um, it's the, the, the sad part in the business when you have to see guys go. Guys have to move their families or let their families stay behind. They have kids. And it just becomes, you know, a big situation, especially when there's a lot of moving parts. But once again, we wish them nothing but the best going forward. And I'm sure they'll continue to take advantage of the NBA and all it has to offer. Uh, I'm still injured, you know, battling back, trying to get back as soon as possible, going through the process of rehab, going through the process of working out, um, seeing what I can and can't do, jump testing, slides, um, soft tissue work, uh, resistance stuff, just to kind of strengthen the ankle and, and get it uh, back to 100% before I'm out there playing. Shout out to my guy, Damian Lillard. Jordan, did you watch the game on MLK Day? It was unbelievable. And what's crazy about that game, CJ, was the way in which he got his 61. Uh, you know, floaters, threes. I That little snake dribble, one dribble, like three ball off the bounce going right. I mean, that's got to be one of the toughest shots in basketball for a right-handed player. It, it's so difficult. And his quick trigger on it. It was a it was a magical performance. If you had one word, it'd be it'd be mystifying. I mean, he was it was as good a performance as you'll see offensively from a guard. He scored, like I said, really in every possible way. There was one play, CJ. I'm sure you remember when they he got doubled and almost tripled from like 70 feet out, and he shed it and then got all the way to the basket for a left handed layup. But when you're rolling like that. From the bench for you, how how exciting was it to watch, knowing that he had the he had the game in the palm of his hand? It's dope to see how he takes over the game. You know, his instincts kind of kick in. You know, he's trying to get assists, he's trying to keep people involved, and then it's go time, and the killer instinct kicks in into where it's attack mode. You know, the double team comes. He, you know, first you embrace it, you embrace it, and then you attack it. He goes behind his back, he hits him with an in and out. He looks off the big, lays it up with the left hand. 
gets into a rhythm, like you said before, where we're down three, uh, a little over a minute left. He snakes it back to the right hand, pulls up for three, bang, ties the game up. And then the signature step back going right, you know, they force him left. He plays the game behind the back, crossover through the legs, snatch back, st- big step to the right, bang again, ties the game up. And then we end up going into overtime. And uh, when it's all said and done, he has a franchise record in points, career high in points, franchise record in threes, most po- points scored in the NBA game this season, and the most points scored ever on MLK Day. So it was just a outstanding performance. And he joins Will Chamberlain, Kobe, Michael Elgin, Baylor, and James Harden as the only players to have multiple 60-point games. And the icing on the cake and funniest part of all of this is that he had 59 three years ago, went to the free throw line, and made one out of two. So he could have had 61 three years ago. Yeah, exactly. And what's also cool about this game was the fact that he, you guys needed every bucket. You guys were down. Um, and I like how he, you can almost see the switch go off with someone like Dame, especially on a, on a national TV game where, you know, he goes from facilitating, let's get everybody involved, let's find a rhythm to, like you said, instincts take over, and this is going to be a special night. So it was really cool to watch the fact that he did it um, in the manner in which he did in terms of, you know, in, in a win and, and getting the 61, breaking all these records. I think uh, it was probably one of the most entertaining games of the year so far. Did you, did you say anything to him at all during the game? I was just telling him to keep attacking, you know, different things that I noticed throughout the game. A couple of times he went into the paint and um, the defender was behind him. And I was just telling him, be cautious of the big. You can stop. You can come to a jump stop and get the foul. Just little stuff like that. You know, telling him when to attack, be aggressive, turn it up here. Um, he knows how to play the game, uh, so I don't really have to say much. But if I see something that I feel like uh, can benefit him or the team or another player, I'll I'll be cognizant of that. I think when I started double teaming him, I told him to get off the ball for a little bit. You know, get off the ball, let somebody else bring it up, save your energy, and then you can get to attacking downhill on one side of the court. So just little little things like that. But you're talking about a guy who's been in the league a long time. He's a bona fide scorer, bona fide leader, playmaker who has the killer instinct and understanding of when to turn it up and how to go about turning it up. At what point do you think he internalizes, you know, and says, okay, I know this is a special night. Like, and at what point do you know CJ as a scorer who has approached, you know, has been in the 40s? Have you gotten 50 yet? You haven't once, right? Yeah, I scored 50 a few years ago. I guess the Bulls. Yeah. So when you get to that point, when you at what point do you think in your head like this is a special night? Is it? I mean, is it before the game? Is it during the game? After a few makes, um, how do you know? I think it's during the game. After a few makes, the ball comes off your hands. You get some clean swishes. You got pop in your step. And I think uh, for him, his swishes were really clean. He went 16 to 16 from the free throw line. Most of the most of the shots were all net. You know, perfect arc, going straight through to where you could kind of tell he was locked in and um, was in a really good rhythm. He got a couple catch and shoot threes. When he hit the three, he had a 33 opportunity, which is a two for one for those of you that aren't familiar with that, where you, if you shoot it before a certain amount of time, um, you have to shoot it with 33 on the clock and it gives you a chance to get another possession uh, with a 24 second shot clock. He, I called it 33 and he looked up and glanced and he shot it from about 44 feet. And, um, he had just a good pop, a good rhythm, a good flow to the game. So I think about the second quarter, you know, 
almost to the end of the second quarter, I said, oh, he's got a great rhythm. He had about 20 or so at halftime. I said, this is definitely a 40 night. And if he gets going um, down the stretch, it's a 50 for sure. And he got going down the stretch and then the game goes to overtime and uh, the rest is history. So you called out 33 to him during the game? Yeah, you just yell it. But he was aware. Like when he caught the ball, he glanced up. But like before he glanced, we were yelling like 33, 33 from the bench. And when you hear it, you know it's two for one, which is basically if you can get to the cup, you get to the cup. But if there's not enough time, you just let it rain from from 30 or 40 in his case. Yeah, that kind of it's ironic. It was against Golden State that like Steph level, you know, pull up in transition <laughs> in transition from like 38 right at the end of the. Half is that the one you're talking about? Yep, the one at the the one that was to the left, uh, on the left side. Yeah. Yes, left side. He walked into it, and Reggie was like, "Oh my goodness!" <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Reggie, Reggie, love it. it was like it's like peak Dame, you know, especially when you when you're really feeling it. There were a variety of buckets he had in that game that were it, like exclusive to him. I can't remember which article it was today that had it, but. Basically, there were like seven or eight shots that he hit that like nobody else in the world makes. Honestly, I don't think anybody can can do some of those things that he did. The way just the it's not just the level of difficulty, but it's the manner in which he he finds a shot, you know, like it's it, he went 55 percent from three. Uh, he made 17 shots to make 17 shots and then hit all 16 from the line. In an NBA game, I mean, that's damn near impossible when you're talking about that level of efficiency. So I, I thought it was a it was a vintage Dame game. Um, I really enjoyed it. I, I just wonder for you, like, how much are you able to enjoy it more in some ways, in some respects, CJ, when you're not in the game, when you can just watch and sit back as a fan? Yeah, when you're not playing, you can really just sit back and kind of analyze everything. And you see the game from a different perspective because you're not physically running up and down the court. Uh, you're in and out of the timeouts. You, you're kind of you know, interjecting when you can and, and, and sharing your knowledge and what you see out there. But when you're not actually playing, um, you're able to really just kind of watch, you know, from a fan's perspective. You know, I'm basically a fan sitting courtside with the best seat in the house, you know, able to watch and, and kind of gauge, you know, flow of the game, tempo of the game, what plays are being called and, and how they're going to be executed. Whereas when I'm playing, I actually physically have a hand in uh, what's going on out there. Is this a better game than, let's say, the Oklahoma City series? Like when he hit OKC for, what was it, 40-something and obviously hit the game winner for PG? No, it's, I know it's more 50 piece game winner. 50-piece game winner. Was it a 50? I think that, I mean, that was more impressive. That was more impressive to me because of the stakes, closeout game, Oklahoma City Thunder, I get in foul trouble early. He scores 50. He walks off with a 50 with a 37 foot bomb fading away to the right. Just the the the, the theatrics of everything that went into that, the storyline him and Russ going head to head, two elite point guards, two elite players in this league, signature shoe athletes, you know what I mean? There's just a lot that went into it. The 61 was just impressive because it was like, man, this this guy is, is good. He's got the goods. Like, he can do a little bit of everything, finish around the basket. He missed a poster dunk that would have been nasty. And just the, the stakes that went into this. If you think about it, we've played every other day since December 25th. So we've had a game every other day. We are currently January 22nd. Shout out to my brother. It's his birthday. Um, uh, this will come out on the 23rd, but we're recording this on the 22nd. So shout out to my big brother, Eric McCullum. But that just kind of shows you how much we've played 
you know, the last month and a half. So many games every other night. We're underhanded. Uh, a lot of players are out. I didn't play. Um, and he goes and, and puts up 61 in a game where he hits 11 three-pointers, most of which came off the dribble at a high di- high degree of difficulty. So that just shows you his his package of uh, offensive talent. I think he's one of the most gifted perimeter scorers, not just guard scorers in basketball. It's the second time this year that he's gotten 60. Um, he did it against Brooklyn on November 8th. And I just love the fact that like Portland as a city, as a basketball city, it is so good. And it's such a great home court advantage. We, we talk about the moto a lot. But Portland fans truly appreciate you guys as a team. And that type of individual performance coupled with the win um, on national TV, like it's just special that it was a home. I'm sure like, there's was, there was a great picture of you, see. I'm sure you've seen it now. I think you might have even posted on Instagram where you're Dumping was it Gatorade water on uh, on Dame at the end of the game? Water, water. water. I, I didn't do it with the Gatorade, just water. Okay, yeah. well that's that's nice. You're, you're thoughtful. You don't want to waste, you know, you don't want to waste Gatorade. Um, but no, I I love that shot of you. And uh, to be totally honest, like I went into that game not especially thrilled, but just because you weren't playing. <laughs> and by like halftime, late second, I was I was you know I was thinking forty five fifty. So to get sixty one and a win. Is special. Um, you know, you touched earlier on AT and Kent being dealt, but walk us through the process of finding out that they're going to be traded and and how you say goodbye to them. Obviously, not permanently, but as teammates. Yeah, it's tough, man. This this is a, this is a tough business to be a part of, and I think Woj ended up tweeting it during people's naps. So we were in Oklahoma City getting ready to play the Thunder, and I normally take a nap on game day, but I was out with an ankle injury. And I had just finished getting some treatment and rehab, so I was just laying in bed watching uh, Aaron Hernandez on Netflix um, where my phone went off. And someone texted me, someone texted me, and they was like, damn. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, don't just send me an empty text. And I went right to Twitter after I obviously seen the response uh, to what had happened. And I seen that they were traded to the Sacramento Kings, so... The craziest part of all this is that Baze was asleep, and I think Anthony was on the phone or doing some business. You know, he's involved in a lot of different uh, ventures, uh, from coffee to blankets to real estate. Real estate. Yeah, so he was busy you know, on a conference call or something like that. His agent ended up calling him and, and letting him know that he had been traded. So uh, we ended up playing that game with like seven or eight players. Gary Trent was throwing up at halftime. So we were shorthanded, but the NBA rules are that you have to dress eight players. So we get through that game, and... The trade doesn't officially go through until Tuesday. So Anthony Tolliver and Kent, they fly back with us to Portland. So we we sit on the, on the plane and we talk. You know what I'm saying? We take a team photo together, kind of just reminisce on the year and, you know, just talk about the future and how we're going to get up with each other. And we actually scheduled a dinner. Uh, Dame, Whiteside, myself, Mello, Rick, who's the head of our security, AT and Bays, we all went to eat after our game, after Dame scored 61. Um last night I think it was no two nights ago two or three nights ago we went out to eat after the game and I just kind of reminisced on the air talked you know um, 
just just to break bread with some friends. You know, basketball stuff is what it is, but we're actually like friends with these guys and have a relationship and actually care about them and their families and, and, and their overall well-being. So just to kind of catch up, you know, gauge the temperature, see where they're at and just kind of move forward. But I mean, I find I found out the same way everybody else did uh, through Twitter, through Woj. And I think they they ended up finding out from their agents, you know, just before Woj, Woj tweets it. So just them getting a call that they've been then traded, what the trade consists of, and how long until the trade is processed and, and gone through. So it's a, it's a sick business. I mean, the way the way it operates, the the trade happens, physicals are cleared, they take the name tags down, the gear is getting sent to the next city, and it's all she wrote. So you actually had the really rare opportunity afterward to have dinner with everybody. Yeah, collectively. Normally they leave the next day, but in this case, the trade couldn't go through because right. it was like a Martin Luther King. There was like a holiday and something else, so the trade couldn't go through till Tuesday. Was that? I mean, was it emotional? Bittersweet? You know, how how hard was that dinner? Aside from the fact that you, you know, you knew you wouldn't be teammates anymore, just from a perspective of like human being a human being and saying I'm not going to be with be around this guy that much anymore. I mean, it just gives you perspective, man. It's, it's definitely bittersweet because you enjoy the company, enjoy being around the guys, and then you kind of fast forward and you go to practice today and they're just not there. And there's there's new teammates here. And you have to be respectful of the business and understanding that you can't mourn the loss of teammates because now you have new teammates that come in. You have to make them feel welcome. You got Trevor Reza coming in. You got Caleb Swanigan coming in. You got um, the young fella from Kentucky coming in. So you can't have any ill will towards them. It's not their fault. It's a part of the business. The business is what it is, and the organization has to do uh, what's best for themselves. So you're sad that you lost some teammates, but also uh, looking forward to playing with new guys and kind of getting them accustomed to, to how you do things. But you more so feel sorry for their families. Um, when you play, you get caught up in the business. You get caught up in you know the day to day life. But the families are who have to adjust the most. Guys have kids. They have wives, um, and the kids are in school. So you have to figure out if you're going to uproot your kids. Do you take them out of school? Do you let them stay for the year? And in the event that you let them stay for the year, you're essentially by yourself. So you're without your wife. You're without your um, your kids. You might have a dog or dogs. Uh, there's just a lot that goes into that dynamic, and a lot of people in the outside world don't see it. But that's the hard part, having to uproot your family mm-hmm. um, in the middle of a season during a trade. Yeah, it's really hard, too, when when you're talking about you know different ages of guys. Like, I wonder for you, with someone like Trevor Ariza, do you— is there a different approach because you he's obviously been around the league and you've you've you know him more so than someone like Winyan Gabriel who's coming in basically uh you know 21 years old and hasn't really played in the league do you, is there more advice you give him do you try to you know help him more so because he's not used to it he hasn't been traded before yeah he definitely needs more help more wisdom understanding of the game you're talking about a guy who was in the G League last year right so this is his first year as an NBA player full-time. He's in the G League and he gets traded in his first year. So there's a big adjustment period. He's probably mentally going through a lot. You know, you, you pack as much as you can. You're staying in a hotel. Your your commute is different. The environment is different. The situation is completely different. So you have a lot to adjust to. Trevor's been in the league for a long time. He's played on championship teams. Um, he knows the business. He knows offenses. He knows um our coaching staff, you know, how we do things. He's played for so long, it's an easier adjustment for him. But my my main conversation is just like, let me know if you need anything, restaurant recommendations, where to go, um, those type of things. I'm just trying to be available and, and helpful and facilitating. Yeah, you mentioned the family, CJ, and I'm really glad you did because as fans, especially um, 
of professional sports, like we, it's so easy to get caught up in the dollar signs and the zeros and just the fact that, you know, we like athletes are often disregarded. I don't want to say as like human beings, but people just assume too many times that athletes are like robots, uh, that they don't have normal feelings or even more so they experience, you know, emotional heartbreak because of the pressure and the, I mean, we've talked about mental health a lot. So I, I'm, I'm appreciative that you brought it up. I think the story I would remember for me that stands out all these years later is when we were in Seattle and we traded Desmond Mason. He was, you know, early twenties, like Gabriel who just turned 20 or who's about to turn 23 and was just coming into his own, had made Seattle a home, was identifying with the fan base, loved the city. And it was in a trade that ultimately sent Gary Payton and Desmond to Milwaukee for a guy named Ray Allen. And so it was a trade that they felt like they had to make, but it was one that was extremely bittersweet and very difficult, especially for Desmond. I sympathize, especially for someone, CJ, that, isn't maybe as established yet. I wonder, you know, you talked about Swanigan and Gabriel. These are very young players in the league who haven't really found their footing. Yeah, it's definitely got to be tough for them to kind of adjust. Caleb, probably easier for him because he was drafted by Portland. He's familiar with everything, the organization, um, the players that are currently here. He knows where he can live at. He just has a better feel and understanding of the city because he was here for a year and a half. But the other young fellow, Gabriel, Winyan is super young, spent most of his, his time in the G League last year and goes from California to Oregon. So it's just a different right. situation to where he has to adjust. But luckily, in a lot of these trades, you get traded with teammates to where you're still able to kind of be close to some players that you were familiar with from the from the previous situation. Yeah, well, I always say that like the difference from the G League to the NBA, the biggest differences are are almost everything but basketball because the basketball is going to be really good either way. I mean, obviously, it's harder, it's better, but – you know the the travel, the 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 pressure, the the lifestyle, everything about it is intensified. And when you haven't really played in the NBA, now you're getting traded. It, it, very difficult situation. Um, so I I'm glad that there's other guys like you in that locker room. I mean, there's a lot of veterans in, the, in that locker room for uh, for them to lean on. Have you have you had a conversation yet with Trevor yet about like the role he could play specifically? I mean, defensively, you think about how good he's been and as a 3 and D guy and what he could do for your team? No, we haven't discussed it. I think it's important to understand um, his knowledge of the game. Trevor's been in the NBA a long time. He knows what he has to offer to not just our team, but any team in the league. He knows where he fits in. He's played against us. He's guarded us. Uh, so he has a, a very good understanding of how he can contribute uh, to our team. So I haven't said anything to him. As we continue to get closer to, to playing games, I'll speak to him about certain things that I see out there, certain plays that we like to run and get an understanding of, you know, how he likes to do things. But I think in the meantime, he's a guy who just figures stuff out. Like you just let him, you just let him be, let him play his game and, and do what he does best. Don't go anywhere because when we come back, we'll take a look at the best two teams in the NBA and Zion Williamson. Williams. 
Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. The two teams that uh, have been maybe most impressive consistently since the beginning of the season, Milwaukee and the Lakers. The reason I want to bring up both teams quickly, CJ, isn't necessarily because of Giannis and LeBron, but more so how good they are without those two on the floor. Milwaukee is far and away, in terms of their net rating, the best team in the league, uh, about a plus five when Giannis is not on the floor. The Lakers are the next best team. Out of those two, um, which which team would which team would do um, would it behoove the most to make a move? Uh, maybe it's the Lakers, you know, adding a guy like Darren Collison. Do, does Milwaukee need anything else? Who who do you think in those two situations would benefit the most from a, a roster ad? I think looking at the rosters and seeing how they fared this season, I think that the Lakers are probably the team who's more likely to make a move just because of the rumors you've heard and how active they've been in kind of pursuing another point guard, looking at potentially bringing in a, a Collison or a Derrick Rose or a, a Bogdanovich, a, a type of player like that to where they can facilitate, help out with the point guard duties, but also score and generate offense. Um, obviously, Kuzma's been involved in some of those rumors and, and conversations, uh, mainly due to his versatility in, in, in youth. A guy who's young, um, who still has a lot of upside and, and isn't very expensive right now. He hasn't gotten that big payday yet. So um, a guy who's very flexible in potential trades. But I think the Milwaukee Bucks are are going to stand pat. They're, they're very good. They have all the positions they need. They got depth. They got shooting. They got shot blockers. They have the reigning MVP. And they currently have what... what Seems to be, you know, one of the the biggest differentials in points, win margin, and home record. Being twenty one and two at home, they basically have the second best record in the NBA, and their offense and defensive ratings are off the charts. So I think based on their efficiency and how well they've played, they're going to stand pat. They're thirty nine and six, eight games ahead of the number two seed. I don't I don't feel like they're going to make any moves unless it's uh, some moves on the bench. So, CJ, Kobe Bryant, he is now saying that there are certain women that could play in the NBA. I am a big proponent of the WNBA and of women's basketball, but I call blasphemy. You say what? I understand what he's saying. He's saying that... Skill-wise, right? Skill-wise, it's there's no question, no doubt about it, Diana Taurasi, Maya Moore, Della Don, they can play in the NBA. Skill-wise... Their shooting ability, their ability to read offense, manipulate screens, they can do those things. Obviously, the the, the physicality of the NBA is a bit different um, compared to the WNBA. Obviously, you know, you, we got some huge bodies down low. You look at a guy like Nurkic, um, 
a guy like Giannis, who's, you know, seven foot, you know, 250, 260, incredible wingspan, incredible strength. Those are like different type of species. You know, the male and the female body is completely different. But I get what Kobe's saying from an understanding of skill set. Like Diana Taurasi could could play point guard in the NBA um, in terms of her skill set. Like she could score. She could be out there and, and, and hold her own. Um, but I don't think there's a lot of WNBA players out there who could play in the NBA consistently for a season just because of the physicality of it and um, some of the differences in, in the physical ability between a, a man and a woman. And it's it's not a knock on uh, women or, or men, but there are some men who just physically aren't capable of playing in the NBA. And I think the same goes for some women in the WNBA. But I understand what he's saying, and I, I feel like woman empowerment is important. You're talking about a guy who has daughters and, and is a voice in this game. And his, his daughter is a monster. Uh, she has she has a complete package. She's got the fadeaway. She can read a defense. She can get to her spot. So well, I understand what he's saying. And he definitely highlighted their skills. Their skill set is something that he was highlighting. Yeah, exactly. Well, the, the exact quote to, uh, to CNN is, I think there are a couple of players who could play in the NBA right now, honestly. There's a lot of players with a lot of skill that could do it. Uh, and uh, he specifically mentioned, to your point, CJ, Tarazi, Moore, and Deladon. My thing is with the physicality and the speed. You know, you it's like if you if you asked a college football team to play in the NFL, like let's say LSU, as great as those guys are, you know, they would get destroyed. And there's a reason why these leagues are separate. You know, I appreciate what he's saying from a skill perspective. I do, but it's just not possible from a from a physical physical point of view, I like your response. I I want I want to be positive. You know, I'm positive. I'm positive guy, but I I just don't see it. Um, last thing for me is Zion. He is playing tonight. L- big picture here. Let's. I don't even want. I don't even care about the Pelicans right now. I'm I'm saying big picture with Zion. His his biggest success, his ability to impact the game. Um, if if he if he does this. Um, then the Pelicans can be that, right? So I guess the question is, what does Zion do from day one? His energy, you know, the the, the speed. What does Zion do from day one that uh, ultimately makes the biggest impact? I think his energy, his athleticism, explosiveness, and energy is what will stick out from day one, from the beginning. Um, that's that's what sets him apart from most of the players in this league. He's close to three hundred pounds, but he jumps. He jumps like a deer. He's explosive. Um, he's strong. He knows how to get to that left hand. And he's shown that he has a motor. And I think that's one of the things that you can't take away from him. He'll figure out some of the skill stuff. He'll continue to get more familiar with the NBA game, the flow of the offense, where he's going to contribute. But right away, he's going to rebound. He's going to run the floor. He's going to finish around the basket. And they're going to put him in a position to succeed. And a guy like Brandon Ingram, who's averaging over 25, having a career year, is going to figure out you know, how to empower him. Drew Holiday is going to empower him. Lonzo Ball is going to empower him. And I think what makes, what makes this team special is that they got guys who can kind of generate offense on their own so that Zion can kind of get in where he fits in and, and, and figure out how to be successful successful around those guys. CJ, I'm really interested as a fan because Zion obviously is such a magnetic player, but what I love about him and what I've found so interesting is that, you know, he entered the NBA as the number one pick, he entered college as the number one high school player in America or one of the most decorated, but he never had, never seems to have that ego, that chip on his shoulder. You know, he he would acquiesce at times to R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish and, and Trey Jones. He, 
he didn't demand the ball in terms of being a selfish player. He, I think he can really pass, and I'd be really interested to see how New Orleans specifically features him around Brandon Ingram, who's averaging 26 points a game and is having a, an all-star caliber year, and around their other young players, specifically Lonzo Ball. Obviously, J.J. Redick is a veteran, but someone that you can spread him out with because of the shooting. And you mentioned he gets to his left hand. He's extremely efficient around the rim. They were excellent in terms of their record in the preseason. It's obviously a small sample size, but his numbers were historic. He averaged 23 points and six rebounds in under 27 minutes. He shot 71%. Like college, he was dominant inside the paint in terms of his efficiency and production. According to 538 CJ, some of the other players that that rivaled Zion's preseason production as rookies, the, the names include Kevin Durant, Tyreek Evans, John Rawl, Kyrie Irving, Donovan Mitchell, and Trey Young. So you think about his production inside the paint, 34 of 35 of his makes in the preseason were inside the paint. That's uh, somewhat comparable to Blake Griffin. This is from 538, who scored 79% of his preseason points as a rookie from inside the paint in 2010. Yeah, I agree. I think they're going to ease him into it. You know, he's 15, 20 minutes. He's going to be on a minute restriction. They'll call some plays for him, but he'll, he'll more so just exist out there. And when you're as explosive and athletic as he is, uh, you, you stand out naturally uh, by just being yourself. He's going to be the best version of him, dunking, rebounding, getting out and running. Are you excited to see him? Oh, I'm definitely excited to see him. Um, get out there and play. I'm happy for him, man. You never want to see guys go through injuries. I think that's the biggest thing. Seeing guys go through injuries and having to kind of dig deep, it's a it's a tough time mentally and physically on your body to have a game taken away from you like that. So I'm, I'm happy for him to just physically, mentally be able to go play freely and, and enjoy basketball again. With someone like that who's so, you know, unbelievably athletic and gifted, but also relies so much on that power game, um, when you're talking about coming back from an injury of this magnitude missing over half the season, how, how long does it take, considering you you had a very similar situation early in your career, CJ, with your broken foot, how long does it take to feel comfortable and not just, like, confident, but, but like, really not think about it anymore and just go out and play? It definitely takes time. <clears throat> Depending on the severity of the injury and how much you're getting up and down in practice, it takes time. But once you get hit, once you twist a leg or an ankle and, right. and you stand up and everything's all right, I think that's when it kind of settles in that, hey, I'm going to get hit. I'm going to fall down. Things are going to happen, but I'm strong enough and sturdy enough uh, to withstand that. So last thing for me, I, I lied, CJ, <laughs> is you mentioned the, the fact that you're taking the Chiefs, right? I believe they're a one-point favorite, one and a half. It's the shortest spread in the history of the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to take the Chiefs. So I, I'm all over the Niners in this game. So I all I I'm not saying think of, I'm not saying we have to make a wager yet, but at some point I'd like for you to think about what you'd like this wager to be and uh, and how much I guess how much wine you'd like to lose because you know that Jimmy G is coming. I hear you. I'm more so worried about their defense. Jimmy G is good, but that defense is next level. The whole thing in football, like if I could simplify it, is if you don't have to blitz and you can still get pressure, you're winning. Mahomes is a magician. We know that, but he's going to be under duress. So that's what I'm excited to see. For sure. But just don't don't forget about what that GM said. The best player he's ever seen before. I love that comment. It's a bar. I do love that. That's And listen, he, he had bar. the foresight. Super bar. He had the foresight to make the move and, and trade up and get him. So good for him. Brett Veach, that was, that was, that was a good move. 
Stay tuned because when we come back, we'll talk to ESPN NFL insider Adam Scheffner about the Super Bowl, Eli Manning, and much more. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I want to welcome a very, very special guest, senior NFL insider at ESPN. He joined ESPN as an NFL insider in August of 2009 been on a variety of programs from NFL Live to the Sunday NFL Countdown to the Monday Night Countdown to SportsCenter. Also hosts his own ESPN audio podcast, the Adam Schefter Podcast. So please be sure to check that out. But without further ado, I want to welcome our special guest, Adam Schefter. Appreciate you calling into the pull-up pod. Man, how's everything going? CJ, great to be with you. Great to be with you guys, Jordan. And, uh, it's an honor to be with you both. No, we're, we're flattered to have you, that's for sure. Obviously, the NFL has taken off again, as it always has around this time of the year. The Pro Bowl is happening. You're going to be heading out, I believe, tomorrow uh, as we record this on Wednesday. My Browns are definitely a topic of discussion. Larry Fitzgerald is definitely a topic of discussion. And most recently, Eli Manning is announcing his retirement. So just Briefly, your thoughts on Eli Manning retiring, what you've been able to see over the course of his career, and the the obvious answer is that he's a Hall of Famer, but I kind of want to get your thoughts on his career and, and how it kind of ended in New York with the Giants. Well, I don't think it ended the way that he would have liked. Obviously, the team struggled at the end, but it doesn't change the fact that he still won two Super Bowls. He still won two Super Bowl MVPs. He still has done something that many quarterbacks could only hope and dream to do. And so for that, he goes down as one of the giant legends. His numbers will never be some of the greatest numbers of all time. He doesn't have the numbers to compare to his brother Peyton. But he's got those Super Bowl wins. He's got the Super Bowl MVPs. They stand on themselves. And just the way he handled himself. You got a guy that is in one of the, if not the toughest media market in the country, surrounded by reporters. Did he ever have a misstep like Derek Jeter? Did he ever say something that he shouldn't have? Did he ever do anything that caused any controversy when you look back on the guy's career? Never. Clean. I like the way he approached his career for sure, and I agree with you on the, the, the championship, the Super Bowl, how he was able to kind of sustain a solid level of play for a long time, but most importantly, like you said before, no blemishes off the field. And I think he's been a great mentor to Daniel Jones and has passed the torch to him, and Daniel Jones is a guy who carries himself the right way, who's definitely learned from Eli. I think my favorite memory of this season is him kind of celebrating in a bar after a game playing what what appears to be Flip Cup uh, in a local bar in in the Jersey area. That kind of epitomizes, you know, how he was as a person. He was a great guy on 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 the football field, did things the right way, and knew how to handle himself off the field. And that moment right there kind of sums up his career in New York and and kind of what he meant to the players around him. You You know what he was, CJ? He was a pro. He was just a pro. And one day he'll be a Hall of Fame pro, in my mind. Adam, I'm, I think I'm most curious when it comes to Eli, whether or not he's a Hall of Famer, because I, I certainly believe he is. I think his resume speaks for itself, but there are those who would say, you know what, 244 interceptions, a career 500 record, uh, wasn't a great regular season quarterback in terms of you know, not always having the most gaudy of numbers. What would you say to that argument? 
Yeah, I, I, listen, I think people will be able to make that argument. I understand it. I mean, like I said, the numbers don't smack you and say Hall of Fame. They don't scream Hall of Fame, his career numbers. But who he was, what he did, all that, that does scream Hall of Fame. And, you know, I was a voter for a short period of time. I voted about five or six years for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I, I always remember that they said, it's not the, you know, can you write football history without them? And I would say that you can't write football history without Eli Manning. He made, to me, what is still, I think, arguably, one of the two or three greatest plays in NFL history in the Super Bowl where he eluded the rush and threw the ball to David Tyree, who made the one-handed helmet catch. And he's got the two Super Bowl MVPs. And so, again, he's a part of NFL history. He was the face of that Giants franchise for a long time. He held himself like a, a true pro. And, and again, to me, yeah, I, like I said, the numbers don't scream Hall of Fame, but the career accomplishments do. I have a guy who screams Hall of Fame and his career accomplishments also do. A guy by the name of Larry Fitzgerald, who has gone on to put up tremendous numbers. You talk about a pro's pro, scores in the end zone, flips the ball back to the referee, celebrates with his teammates, the consummate professional. He's announced that he'll come back for another year, and they also made an announcement that Larry Fitzgerald has become the second active NFL player with NBA ownership share. He purchased a, a stake in the Phoenix Suns. Um, are you surprised Larry Fitzgerald decided to come back? And if not, how much longer do you think he'll play after this upcoming season? Well, I think it's a year-to-year thing, CJ. There have been people predicting that he'd retire every year for years now, and the guy keeps coming back and producing. It wouldn't surprise me if this is his last year, especially with the news that he's bought a piece of the Phoenix Suns, a small stake in that team, and he's got other things. It, you know, again, we talk about pros, Eli Manning, was one. Larry Fitzgerald is another, okay? Of all the people in the league, of all the players I've ever dealt with, there isn't anybody that I like any more than Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, just personifies class handles himself the right way, does the right thing, has been a model for that organization, and again, should be allowed to play as long as he wants to play because he's always a role model for everybody else. Guy's just a tremendous player, tremendous asset for the organization, uh, tremendous asset now for the Phoenix Suns as well. And I don't know, this might be his last year. Yeah, he's slowing down, so what? Uh, But the fact that a wide receiver has been able to play as long as he has, at the level he has, to produce like he has and carry himself like the pro that he is. I, I tip my cap to that guy. What's been the relationship, Adam, with, with him and Kyler Murray? I, rem- I remember back in June he said that, that Murray knows the system better than we do, and that, that certainly caused some uh, headlines. But maybe he was right, and I wonder what the relationship has been like as Murray has had this you know rookie season that obviously was was very good in, in many respects, and it seems like they have a really good connection. Does does that help the case for Fritz to stay longer? No, I don't think that influences his decision, but I think, look, that's one of the reasons you have a guy like Larry Fitzgerald around uh, so that he could teach a young guy like that how to be a pro and how to handle things. Uh, you want examples for young guys, and, and there are certain guys in sports that I say, oh, boy, you, you don't want that guy in your locker room, and there are certain guys you do want in your locker room. And Larry Fitzgerald is a guy that you do want in your locker room every single day of the week because the way he carries himself and the way he prepares and works, that rubs off on everybody. Like if you want to have a long, productive career, you you watch the way that that guy goes about his work, right? Like, I mean, it's just natural to do that. 
And so uh, the smart people will follow along and, and, and the not smart people won't. Well, one person that, let's just say, hasn't exactly been shrewd with the way he's approached his career, at least not the last 18 months, has been none other than Antonio Brown. Um, we have seen, I think, one of the biggest falls from grace uh, from a football player in quite some time. I was watching this morning on Undisputed, and Skip Bayless said, uh, is it O.J. Simpson-esque? I, first, I thought it was crazy. Um, and then I started watching Get Up as well, and they were talking about some of the issues that Antonio Brown has had. And if you go through it, it's a laundry list. Adam, he has been, uh, you know, relentless in his pursuit of, you know, self-harm. Have you seen anything like it in terms of the NFL with a player of his caliber falling this far this fast? Well, what I would say there is just that, I mean, this has gone on so long. It's on a bad trajectory. And you just hope somebody like that gets some help. Look, his agent last week, Drew Rosenhaus, former agent, parted ways with him with the idea that he wanted Antonio Brown to get some help. And I think everybody that has watched his behavior throughout the year would seem to think that something is not right. Something's not right. And so nobody can look at this and like the way it's going. And you hope that he can get some help. And you hope that he does it before it's too late. And now he's involved in another episode, and it seems like there's an episode on an almost daily basis. And and it's it's very concerning, it's very discouraging, and very disappointing. I mean, like, I, I don't know what to say other than, you know, I, I, you, you want the guy to get some help. Because it, 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 from the outside, it looks like he needs it. Well, also, we've, we've seen now what's happened with Delonte West over the last couple of days, and obviously there's... There's no video of Antonio Brown of that caliber, of that magnitude, but it's interesting that they happen the same week. You know, you 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 see Delonte West on the street homeless and uh, obviously on significant drugs, and you wonder, you know, how could this happen? It's very, very sad, and it speaks to the state of mental health. Um, I guess my question is, what? How much? How much do the Steelers? How much credit do the Steelers deserve, Adam, for keeping this in house, Mike Tomlin? I don't know if they allowed it to happen as much, but they certainly um, made, they almost doubled, they really doubled down at one point saying, this is our guy. Well, Drew, what I would say to that is, obviously, it seems like he was a lot to handle, and Mike Tomlin did a great job of that. But it also looks like it's just gotten worse over time. It also looks like, I mean, I, I, maybe it did happen, but it, it, this is a year where if we just look back on it, you know, he challenged the Raiders GM to a fight. You know, forces were out of Pittsburgh. Videos that came nonstop. Showed up at the Saints with a video crew when they told him not to bring an entourage. Accused of sexual assault when he's with the page. I mean, this is, these are extreme measures, right? This is above and beyond, I believe, what went on in Pittsburgh. And while there were many things that happened in Pittsburgh, a lot behind closed doors, many that we don't know about, I think I think it's risen to a new level this year. It seems like it has, which is why I think there's a level of concern that surrounds his behavior. Yeah, I agree. I think it's definitely spiraled kind of out of control. I think when he was playing with the Steelers, there were things that he did that probably were difficult for them to deal with, but I don't think it was to that magnitude of the music videos, the police being called, all those things that kind of have allowed this situation to spiral. Uh, even even when he was in Oakland and he ended up losing, I think it was, what, $30, 40000000 million, something of that magnitude because of 
missing meetings, among many other things. I think that was the start of this kind of spiraling out of control. But turning the page to my Cleveland Browns, I told you I was going to ask you about my Browns. There's a lot of things going on uh, with our organization right now. Obviously, we made a coaching change. We're... I think in the process of the GM situation being handled, uh, Baker Mayfield, a guy who had a lot of expectations this season, uh, had some ups and downs on the field this year. Obviously, OBJ just announced he had surgery a few days ago. He was in the news recently for some antics during the LSU National Championship. What's going on with my Browns? Question number one. And how can we kind of right this wrong and put some of our poor performance historically in the past and keep a head coach for more than three years, keep a starting quarterback and really build around the talent that we have? You know, CJ, what I would say there is basically, I don't care what I say. It doesn't matter what I say. They they just keep cycling through coaches and GMs and they can say whatever they want. I, it just felt like listening to them, they were saying the same things over at every press conference I've ever heard for every head coach and every GM and every executive that they've ever introduced. It never changes. So I think we all know they need to be patient and they need to let these men do their jobs. And if they lose, then they need to stand by their men and they need to stay out of the way and they need to let the coaches coach and the GMs GM and let everybody do their jobs and just back away. And they just haven't done that, right? So it doesn't matter what we say. They, uh, you know, action is going to be everything here. And so I hope for your sake that Kevin Stefanski, I, he's a great coach. If they just leave him alone, he can get the job done. But the question is, will they leave him alone? Will they let him coach? Will they let him do his job? Will they let him do it over an extended period? And if they don't, uh, then they'll just be perpetuating the cycle that has become the Cleveland Browns that hasn't worked out. It's sad, man, because there's a lot of loyal fans out there like myself who've yeah. been through a lot. We've been through a lot of coaches. We've been through a lot of quarterbacks, and it's just it's just frustrating. And I always say, I'm going to give them another year. I'm going to give them another year, and I mean it. But at some point, uh, I'm really because well, you know, you're a fan <laughs> and you care and you want to see them do it, and you'll keep doing that. Yeah. And and at some point, hopefully sooner rather than later, they'll reward you for that faith. Right. But they haven't to date. They have today, but I, I tell you what, I am going to do. I am going to get a Russell Wilson jersey because <laughs> the Seahawks are so close. The ownership is is shared, and yeah. um, I'm going to have to do it. Uh, it's just it's just something that I have to do. But I know you only have a few more minutes, so I wanted to touch on Pat Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Brady, Super Bowl picks, yeah. and then we'll let you go. But looking at Pat Mahomes, I'm just going to go on the record right now. I'm picking the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. I don't yeah. know. I think the spread's one and a half, two, depending on where you bet at. How good can he be? What's his ceiling? Is he a $50 million a year quarterback? Uh, I know he has all the intangibles. He can throw in the pocket, out of the pocket. He can run. Uh, he's a gamer. He's he's really you know, sped up his decision-making. How good can he be? And Lamar Jackson, I really love him. I like the development he's made. Uh, what's, what's their ceilings? Well, first of all, I think Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the game today. And I heard Brett Veach, the chief general manager, say that, he's, that when he saw Patrick Mahomes, he thought it was the best player he ever saw. And when you got the GM saying it's the best player he ever saw, that tells you everything you need to know, right? Tells you how good he is and how good he can be. And you're talking about a guy that has a chance to be an all-time great. So um, when you're talking about an all-time great, I don't know what the contract will be, but I, I have every faith that he's going to be the NFL's first $200 million-plus contract, whether that's six years for 240 or seven years for, you know, uh, 
three fifty. I mean, you come up with that. Whatever it is, I mean, it's it, it, he's going to be worth it. I mean, we've seen these contracts in baseball. Why not for Patrick Mahomes? He's that valuable. Um, so that that that's one thing. Whatever they do, my guess is it's a forty million dollar a year contract, six years, two forty. You know, one hundred and fifty guaranteed. Basketball kind of numbers, CJ. Basketball kind of numbers. And then as for Lamar Jackson, I mean, guy had an incredible season, great future. A lot of people doubted the guy. Um, went at the bottom of the first round, and and he proved everybody wrong. I, I would not pick against Lamar Jackson. I know he struggled in the postseason, uh, but the guy is just tremendous. And, and he's got a long, great NFL career ahead of him. Long, great career. Yeah, I agree. I'm a big, big Lamar Jackson fan. I thought we should have drafted him. <laughs> I love Baker. I love the pick. But I felt like with the 31st pick, we could have gone defense, lineman, Lamar Jackson. Well, I, I wouldn't argue with that. Who, do you, who are you taking for the Super Bowl? The, the world needs to know. Who are you taking? It sounds like Adam's, Adam's taking Mahomes. Well, you know, I, I don't like to do picks. I'm picking for right now, and you're not going to like I'm picking a great game. Like, that's what I'm picking, a great game. And uh, I got time to talk to people down there and listen to people and, and formulate my opinions. But th- there are so many people in San Francisco that I've known for so long and so many people in Kansas City who I know and respect. It- it's tough for me to just pick one of these teams. I-, I just think that they really are the two best teams in football with so much talent. Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the game. Uh, the 49ers might have more depth and more defensive talent. So it's just a question of what you want to choose from. Again, it's hard to pick against the greatest player in the game today, Mahomes, but the 49ers are capable of winning this game. Absolutely agree with you. And last question before we let you go. I know you want to get back to enjoying life. Tom Brady in a Patriots uniform next year, yes or no? It's a tough one. I mean, here's what I would say to that. The fact that we're even asking if the greatest player in NFL history is going to be back with his former team is an enormous story. The fact that that's a question is incredible to me, but that's where we're at. And I don't think it's just a Tom Brady decision. I think it's a Patriots and Tom Brady decision. It's a two-way street. And there are so many different ways that this still could go that I don't like to guess which way it is going to go ultimately. I just know the fact that his future in New England is in jeopardy. That to me is enough to get everybody's antenna for the off season. I like that answer and I appreciate you. And my, my last question for you guys before we before I, I let you go. CJ, I got Yusuf Nurkic <laughs> on IR on my NBA fantasy basketball team. There it is. When when would you guess? When's he coming back? Yeah, when are we going to see Nurkic? Come on. Uh, Nurk looked good in practice today. I will say that that's public information. Nurk went through a full practice today, contact, up and down, all of that stuff. He's been banging. He's in game shape right now. It's just a matter of his comfort level and what the staff kind of agrees to for a maturation process of putting him back out there in the, in the game atmosphere. But I will say this. He looks very good. He looks better than he did, you know, physically before he was hurt. Okay, well, I'm holding on to him then. <laughs> I would say that. Uh, I. Maybe maybe I'll shoot you a text when when it's when it's really go time. Yeah, shoot me shoot me a text when we're getting close. That's all. And and, and I'm not saying anything. We'll keep it secret, okay? <laughs> you just give me keep, shoot me a text when we're getting close. I appreciate you, man, and, and thanks again for for spending some time with us once again. We had Adam Schefter on the Pull Up Pod, one of the most influential people, not just in NFL but in sports in general. CJ, I appreciate the kind words. Thank you for the time, Jordan. Thank you for the time. Enjoy the Super Bowl, man, and thanks for having me today. Our pleasure. Thank you, brother. Yes, sir. We appreciate our listeners out there tuning in faithfully. Um, continue to support the Pull-Up Pod. Best of luck on your wagers as the NFL season comes to an end. 
You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Rio.com, backslash pull up with CJ, or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to pull up. Pull up.